Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 629 with John Stage. I tend to sometimes shoot, then aim. (laughs) So uh, what I've learned is aim, plan, put people in place, then shoot. Back then we just did it. Are you ready for it? it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Everybody loves payday, am I right? But loving your payroll provider, that's a different story. It's a little weird. Still, small businesses across the country love running payroll with Gusto. Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes. It's super easy to use, and you can add benefits and HR support to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. It's loyal, it's modern, and who knows, you might even fall in love. To learn more, head over to gusto.com slash unstoppable, and when you run your first payroll you'll get your first three months free again that's gusto.com slash unstoppable it doesn't get easier than cake cake is the point of sale built for restaurants that's easy to set up and use with cloud-based access from any device 24 7 customer support and a lifetime access to cake university how could you not love cake to learn more about cake point of sale head over to trycake.com slash unstoppable and because you're a restaurant unstoppable listener you will save 750 dollars off activation again that's trycake.com slash unstoppable when your employees are empowered to speak up internally you can stay one step ahead of costly issues that can tarnish your brand before they become larger public problems ethics suite is the first employee incident reporting platform developed to be fully customizable for every industry including the restaurant industry unethical workplace behavior is a threat it's time to protect your business with an incident reporting system find out why ethics suite is the leading anonymous reporting system for the restaurant industry at ethicsuite.com slash restaurant unstoppable with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest john stage my man john are you feeling unstoppable today i am so unstoppable oh, yes. <laughs> yes that's let's what we like this. to hear let's do it uh, in 1988 tired of the gypsy lifestyle john stage decided to settle in syracuse new york where he opened his first dinosaur barbecue restaurant in the following year stage has expanded with locations in rochester manhattan troy new newark new jersey Stanford, Brooklyn, and Buffalo. I cannot wait to dive into your story. <laughs> it's a really great story. Uh, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Oh, man, this is an easy one. The road to success is always under construction. Ooh, the road to success always. is always under construction. Kind of sounds like <laughs> Manhattan or New York a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's very uh, applicable to the times we live yeah. in. Right yes. <laughs> so dive into that, that quote and how it resonates with you and why you share it with us. Well, there's just no straight line to success. I mean, there's every, every hurdle, every roadblock. You've got to decide whether to go around it, under it, through it. It's just nothing is easy. Yeah. Fact, the, and you got to love it or it, it's I, not going to I work. love that interpretation. And when I, hear, when I was listening to you say it, what, what came into my mind was the idea that you never reach a point of we're here, right? And it, oh, it's like never. it's a never-ending process. And, it's, and exactly. just when you think you've gotten there, the industry has changed, the technology has changed. You, there's oh, a way to be right. better, right? So you're never going to yeah. fully get there, I feel like. Yeah, that is 100%. And, I, and I'm never... 
I'm never content. I'm never, I'm never happy with where I am. I'm, there, there's so much to learn. And, and, and that's one thing I, 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 I subscribe to. I just always want to keep learning, changing, because everything's changing around you right now. And if you just stay stagnant, the world's going to pass you. The world's going to pass you. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Great yeah. way to get this thing started. So I love your story, uh, but I want you to tell it. So take us to where you think it makes sense to start the story. Well, it, I, I'm going to say it started in uh, 1983, if you want to kick off Dinosaur itself. Um, I was at a motorcycle show with two friends, uh, the Harley Rendezvous up, in, um, uh, up outside of Albany. And we decided to get into the business of feeding bikers. Mm. We were, um, you know, I've been riding uh, since 1981. And we looked around and the food at these events was just awful. So we decided to... Get specific. What what was the food like at that time? Well, if you look at it, uh, 1983, the biker world was much different. Um, And you had volunteers doing the food at all these events. So you had, it was just a shit show. Absolutely. Potluck, right? Well, not even that. Uh, so we went to the promoters of all these biker events and said, hey, let us do the food and we'll whack you back 10%. And they were more than happy to turn that food to over get, to us because yeah. nobody who was cooking the food was in the food service business. So, it, so I want to go deeper here because I feel like a big part of your story is just the, the, the idea of just starting small, starting where you can, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so what advice, actually round off the, the story just a little bit more mm-hmm. to kind of talk about what you were doing and what your solution to this biker show was, and then we'll mm-hmm. kind of dissect it a little bit more. Uh, the solution, um, well, you know, you talk about moving quick. So this was in June. We hatched it the next day. We had a friend of ours who was a welder, and we said, all right, we're going to... We're going to barbecue. And, and we had no idea what barbecue was. Northeastern barbecue. Well, right? we, we, <laughs> we were doing Italian sausage and uh, ribeye steak sandwiches. Okay. That was the genesis of the idea. So we had a friend who uh, um, cut a 55-gallon drum in half. By August, we were in business. Wow. But if you look back then, there was no health permits. There was no. Much easier. There, we, we just were in a lifestyle of no regulation. We're in an underground uh, society yeah. almost of that. And we just bounced from event to event. And it was very easy to get into business. We didn't realize it. I guess the cost of entry was very easy. We had a fit for a gallon drum. We had ourselves. We knew how to cook. But we had no idea how to feed thousands and thousands of people. What were the, the uh, original events like, those first couple of events where you literally <laughs> were just like taking a swing at it? Uh, they were wild, absolutely wild. I mean, wild from many different aspects, but, um, oh, man, we lit, you know, 100 pounds of chicken on fire. We just, <laughs> I mean, there was one disaster after another. That we, 100 pound chickens? <laughs> well, no, I mean, like we had all this chicken, oh, gotcha. and like, we man. didn't realize that um, the flame needed to be much further away from the chicken. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a big fire of chicken. And Was this the first event you did? No, this was the second. Take us to that first event and what it was like just, just starting. You know, it was the first event was pretty good. We put that sausage on the grill and we made at that time a good bank for that event. Yeah. The next one, we went to something that was probably four times the size and we were totally unprepared for it. And that's where the chicken went up in flames. And then, um, you know, mass hate when you run out of food or. Yeah. So it was just everything was a learning experience. You'd have success. You'd have failure. Failure. You'd have rain. So it was like some days you had, uh, you know, you're stuffing your, your, your boots with cash. The next day you'd lose it all yeah. on the next event. So it was a very, 
that's what I said. Like for five years, I did that. So I was, I was like a, like a carny, like a biker carny almost, going from event to event. And then we started biting off a little more than we can chew. We got into the fair business. And that kind of was our destruction at that point because we... Um, the what business? The fair business. Oh, okay. You no, know, so we started um, uh, chasing the fairs. Once uh, fall came, all the fairs moved down south. There you go. And that's how we discovered barbecue. And that's really the crux of how I got into barbecue. I was at a, God, we're at an event in, in, in Virginia, and we called ourselves Dinosaur Barbecue. And, and the reason why we said barbecue, because all our competitors did like a red sauce, an Italian, like a marinara sauce, and yeah. put it on their sausage. We're like, man, we're going to be different. We're going to make our own barbecue sauce. Wait, we're barbecue. Dinosaur barbecue. That's how we named it. Yeah, so wait, break that down. I was curious about the name of dinosaur. So how did you come up with dinosaur? Dinosaur is I rode a 57 panhead at the time. My, my partner rode an uh, a, a old flathead, okay. 47 Harley. Dino, my original partner, just a big bad dude. And um, his name was Dino. Okay. Cooked over open fire, rolled old motorcycles, listened to old blues music. We're like, man, we're like dinosaurs. <laughs> and we're like, all right, that name's stuck. There you go. <laughs> well, if you look around, there's nothing to do with dinosaurs. I was curious about that. I was really curious. I mean, I think the only place you see a dinosaur is on the logo, right? <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Um, so take, I want to dissect, the, I want to make more of an example of you, of just the idea of just starting. I think mm-hmm. so, so often people fail because they have this vision of what they want their dream restaurant to mm-hmm. be. And they go for that on day one. Mm-hmm. But you're a great example of just starting where you can. Like, what was your overhead? For the first like, <laughs> for the first event for a fifty-five gallon drum and for cost of goods, what else? I mean, it must have been low. You must well, have, it was the cost of goods. Yeah, because which, it was me and my two partners, and that, that was our labor force. Yeah, and then whatever girlfriend we had would work. Um, <laughs> would work the, the so the point being is, um, you know, it's not going to be perfect on day one. But if you just start and you keep your expenses low uh, over time, like you will evolve, and you weren't even doing yeah. like what we know is as barbecue today mm-hmm. what you are today you weren't doing that until five years into the business yeah so it's going to yeah. evolve over time you're going to find your your identity you're going to find your niche you're going to do you want to reflect on what i'm saying do you want to am i resonating with you at all um yeah let's so uh, let me make sure i understand you so yes the cost of doing business was nothing the entry and now if you flip it to like opening a restaurant in manhattan how high the cost is. Exactly. <laughs> Which is where business. we're sitting today. Right, where we're Big sitting difference. today. So if you look at it from there, everything just evolved. It evolved into a restaurant. We had the, the, we opened the first restaurant for $40,000. Wow. And that was with money that we had made off the road. And that was in Syracuse yes. in 1988. 88 is when we opened. Okay, yes. so five years. Take us through the process of what it was like to, to were you putting money away? At what point did you start planning for your first restaurant? You know, I started planning for this restaurant even years before that. Um, it, it's actually how I got into the food business. Okay. Um, you know, I, I was in the joint for three years, and I worked in the, in the mess hall, and I loved feeding people. Why? Just I loved the action of mm. it. So for me to be slopping eggs and putting food on people's plates – that got me excited about going to work inside inside so in while i was in there i had this idea for someday i'd like to open up my own restaurant i love this idea of the food business um and that's how because when i got out you know i was doing construction i was horrible at everything i was doing and so the idea just didn't come 
out of left field at that one biker event. It was kind of planned okay. a couple of years before that. Uh, so it was almost like starting this business was I had nothing to lose. Yeah. So when you have nothing to lose. You're willing to take those risks, right? What's the that going to happen? Yeah. So now, yeah, fast forward uh, years later, every move is a little more calculated because mm. you have. Something to lose. Something to lose. But yeah. I had nothing to lose. And it was, uh, you know, every, you know, the idea of uh, giving somebody your product for a dollar was very exciting to me. And that, and so it started. Is that as, how much you were selling each? Uh, no, I'm, I just, I'm just using that. As, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we were selling like two fifty. Okay, at that time. but I'm sure each sausage is much it must have cost you less than a dollar to produce. Oh, of course, one of sausage. Course. What we're we thinking like forty, fifty cents, and probably in that probably at that place. Time, yeah. So you're making a good margin right there. Oh yeah, 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 you're doing good. And your overhead is like you said, next to nothing. You were doing all the work. Your Ten. girlfriends were working for you. Right. Uh, your equipment was uh, a barrel. You know, was, a well, scrap. or anything else we could beg, borrow, or yeah. steal. Yeah. So take us through that evolution of the business, how you started scaling just, just the mobile aspect. Because you had to set your – I mean, you need to get that cash flow to be able to yeah. invest in the, yeah. the, the brick and mortar. So take us through that evolution. Well, the first big purchase was an Arnold bread truck that we converted. So we were like, uh, you know, before this whole food truck thing, we kind of were food truck guys. So yeah. we, we outfitted it, and we broke down from everywhere from uh, Syracuse to uh, – <laughs> to like South Carolina, everywhere we went, we this goddamn thing broke down. But that was our first big investment was the Arnold bread truck, and then from there it was oh let's buy a flat grill. Let's what year did you get the, the bread truck? We started in eighty three. I don't know, man. Maybe, maybe eighty five. So like two or three years into it, you, you started expanding and getting a little yeah. more mobile. Um, you mentioned you started take you started chasing the fairies, and that's what brought you self. Mm-hmm. What was it like to experience a whole different world of barbecue? Uh, did people take you seriously, being like the the northeastern style no, of barbecue? We weren't, we weren't doing real barbecue at that yeah. time. So where the change point was, we were at a fair, and this guy comes up to us and goes. Barbecue? Why are you calling yourself barbecue? I was like, I mean, I've got, got this nice sauce. We got the steak. He's <clears throat> like, no, man, this ain't barbecue. You got, and I remember him saying, you got to dig a pit in the ground and all, all this shit. I was like, man, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> so now, and again, this is before the internet. This is for any cookbooks on barbecue. And there was a guy who was selling barbecue at this fair, and I remember like tasting, going, yeah, it's all right. There's nothing great about this. And then I got obsessed with Memphis. I started reading a little bit about Memphis, and I heard Memphis was like the barbecue Shangri-La. So uh, that next season, I went on, uh, took a road trip, went on my bike through uh, to Memphis. That's where I, I, I needed to be. And along the way, I started eating some barbecue. Some was good. Then a couple places really hit me. I was like, holy shit, that's what they're talking about. Yeah. And then I came back. I was like, man, we're changing Everything. Was this all in Tennessee? Uh, no, I. You know, actually, the the first barbecue that I hit that I had this moment was Abe's Barbecue in Clarksdale, Mississippi. Okay, that came up through Mississippi gotcha, up gotcha. like this, and then I got to Memphis. I was like, God damn, this is this is it. You know, I remember eating pain. I love pains. I still go back to Memphis for pains, um, and uh, got the rendezvous and just all those classic joints back then so what's going through my mind hearing your story is mm-hmm. i feel like a lot of people would have encountered all this barbecue that is uh like the, the the more traditional barbecue as we know it today mm-hmm. and would have been discouraged that they weren't doing it right um well and i didn't would have, know if they were doing it right it yeah. just wasn't it just wasn't uh hit me like i was like yeah i guess this is good uh, yeah and then when i got good i was like it, it was 
you know, a revelation. So what, what was going on inside your mind saying, did you want to recreate what you were experiencing in that moment? Did it take time for you to, to decide to try to recreate what you're experiencing? No, by the time I got back, I was like, hey, man, I'm going to, Memphis was my influence and, uh, came back and, uh, you know, the story of the, our restaurant in Syracuse is a whole nother one, but, um, I, I wanted to bring a piece of Memphis into where we were. Cause I was so taken by this city. And really, I hadn't traveled much before that, you know. So it was going to the south was really like my first time, you know, outside of the fairs, you know. I love it. Learning a little bit. Yeah. So any, I want to start diving into how you made your first brick and mortar uh, a thing of reality. Mm-hmm. But take us through maybe some big lessons you learned being a mobile operation i know there's a lot of mobile operations possibly listening to this a lot of people start there so mm-hmm. what advice do you have for those mobile operations uh learning the hard way you know li- living it you know what, what would you do, do differently knowing what you know today well it's not as romantic mm-hmm. as number one as it's portrayed to be mm-hmm. it's a lot of hard work get and, into it oh yeah. man it's it's you know it, well let's uh, you know i, I look at the, f- the food guys in new york city i'm like oh man you know the, the the schlepping and the traffic and all that, and you know I have empathy for what they're yeah. going through. Um, just every day is a challenge. It's a struggle. It's uh, rain, weather, every and it's maintenance, port- <laughs> ma- yeah. maintenance on the truck, the breakdowns, uh, it, it, the reality versus what people think. But it's a great way to test your concept. Yep. I mean, again, if it. it well, I don't know. A good food truck's going to cost you a hundred grand right now, seventy-five thousand dollars. So you have to be really confident in what you're you're selling. But it's a, I guess you'd rather spend um, seventy-five thousand than a uh, million dollars. Yeah, I think there was you know. a period uh, where food trucks were great ideas. One because they were still kind of new, and there wasn't mm-hmm. a lot of competition. You mm-hmm. like you were, you know, if you were the yeah. first food truck to break into your market. You, you stood out. Now there's right. these food tra- trucks, you know, galore. Mm. So it's not as fancy as it used to be. It's not as, you know, there's right. the wow factor is kind of taken away. Mm. And then, like you mentioned, it, the lifestyle isn't what you think it is. It's hard to scale a food truck operation. Um, right. You can do one food truck, but unless you, I mean, to, to have another food truck and then to ex- to be able to trust somebody to do everything right, uh, mm-hmm. maintain the vehicle, drive the vehicle safely, and then serve all the food. Like, there's a lot of things that you have to not everybody can do that, right? So it's right. harder to find a qualified person to operate that second truck. So it's a really difficult oh, business to scale. It, in, incredibly uh, difficult. That's why I think most food truck guys have a dream of brick and mortar. Mm-hmm. And, and if you look, a lot of success stories have been from the food truck to brick and mortars. So you pay your dues like crazy in the food truck. Mm. Uh, what you were just saying, just driving in traffic, you know, because we, we do a lot of catering. And we have, um, you know, a fleet of uh, vehicles that do all these caterings. But the, the dents and the bruises and the accidents and the tickets, mm. it's crazy. It adds up. Oh, man. It adds up it adds for sure. Up. So one thing I'm curious about, um, it, in my research on you, it said that you kind of got sick of life on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, I can relate to life on the road. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for you, what, what was it about life on the road that was re- really wearing at you? Uh, why did you want to get, why did you want to call it stops of, you know, that, that life on the road? Well, my son was born in 1984, and it was uh, I was v- living a very unhealthy lifestyle, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. Had a lot of fun, but yeah. it was very unhealthy, and it was getting to a point of unsustainable. Plus, I started hating it. 
<laughs> what parts of it did you hate? I hated the fact that I started the business with it was so freewheeling, and then it got started getting regulated. Once it started getting regulated, I was like, man, why am I putting myself through this? Yeah. The beauty of it was it was a very gypsy existence. Yeah. And that I liked. But once you started having to get insurance, every there's the other one. If you're in this traveling business, every health department is different from state to state, county to county. So you'd have to jump through different hoops in every place you went. And then uh, the rent started going up. Uh, Everything changed. And it started sucking. Yeah. Well, I started hating it. So maybe when a new person gets involved at that stage, that's all they know. I knew something different. So I was like, man, if I'm going to jump through these hoops, I may as well open a restaurant and just get it locked in. Yep. So take us to that point. Actually, real quick, we got to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. Mm-hmm. And we'll be right back for you to take us through opening the, the first brick and mortar. It's the entrepreneurial myth, and I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's the idea that when you open your own restaurant, life is going to get easy because you get to do exactly what it is that you love, whether that's front of house or back of house. And then reality kicks in, right? You've got to do all this other stuff that comes with owning a business like taxes, HR, payroll, really boring stuff. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, HR actually easy for small business. And if you want to add on 401k or health benefits, it's a breeze. Those old school clunky payroll providers just were not built for the modern small business. Not to mention, you, you've got to compete with the big guys. But how do you compete with the big guys when you don't have big guy bucks? Well, with Gusto. That's how. Get back to doing what it is you love and let Gusto handle the rest. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you'll get your first three months free when you run your first payroll. That's Gusto.com slash unstoppable. Again, Gusto.com slash unstoppable. Okay, so we're back and you're just about to start uh, taking us through the process of opening your first brick and mortar. So what was that like? Take us through where you you decided you were going to do it and what Mm -hmm. things you did intentionally to make it happen. Well, the first thing was <clears throat> we had no money, basically. So we had to figure out how to do this with the budget that we did have. So as we were getting closer to opening it, we, f- we realized we ran out of money. So we went back on the road to make some money. So it was almost like uh, I thought I was out, but now I got pulled back in. <laughs> yeah. you said, I think you said $40,000 was what you needed to, to get open. Was that the cost of the building or is that what you needed to open? No, that's how much it costs us to open. Okay. So, all said and done. Okay. Um, so, take it back to where you left off. Uh, mm-hmm. You went back on the road. How much more did you need to raise when you went back on the road? Uh, I don't know. It, 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 came, it, it took a while to open it up. So, I, I don't know exact. All I know is that $40,000 is how it ended up. Okay. How we got that money was through many different sources, being on the road. And, did you have uh, investors? No. No, we didn't it's have probably any a good thing. <laughs> well, no, who, who the hell would give us money? <laughs> yeah, right. So it was just uh, we built it, you know. And I'm a I'm a shitty carpenter. You guys did all the <laughs> construction too. Um, us, me, my partner, and uh, a couple other guys uh, did it. Uh, one of the guys that uh, ran the motorcycle shop upstairs um, was was like the main contractor for it. So it was um, it was as bootstrapped as you can get, and. Uh, it's a little painful, but we got it open, and then we thought we were going to... So, life on the road is, uh, uh, you know, you're at a place where there's thousands of people. You open up your doors, and if it's a good event, you're busy. 
So we thought it was going to be the same thing with a restaurant. We opened up for breakfast, and uh, we thought we were going to open up them doors. I had eggs and steam tables. Like it was going to be a, a – and not one person showed up for this. <laughs> and I sat there. I was just looking at these eggs. They're, like, turning green. I was like, oh, man, <laughs> this ain't it. So I dumped everything. I had, like, gallons of oatmeal. And I, I just thought it was going to be different. And then we had to adjust to the reality of what business was. But I hated, hated getting up that early in the morning and cooking breakfast. But I did make a very nice uh, roast beef hash, which we did become <laughs> a little famous for. <laughs> That's awesome. But I love, I love this, like, the, the story and how, again, like people try to shoot for perfection on day one. And you mm. should try to be as good as you can be on, on day one. Right. But the reality of the, the, the matter is you, what you think your reality is going to be will change with time because i mean very rarely do people hit it out of the park on the first rendition right oh yeah so take us through that that evolution and how you knew it was time to pivot because i'm assuming you didn't serve you don't serve breakfast to this day do you oh god no No, this this lasted about a year okay um well we were um we were dying dying a slow death i mean i was for the first two years and when you, you said things evolve over time. Sometimes they evolve the next day. Take us through that yeah. and when you knew it was time to evolve and when you knew it was time to drop something. Well, if you look at that breakfast thing, we never did that again on day two. Okay. We now went to cooking everything to order. Okay. So, you're, we, you know, because we, we thought there was going to be thousands of people rushing us like it was. So you're doing like a breakfast buffet style. Yeah. That's what we started off that way. Yes. And it just didn't happen. So next day we're like, all right, we'll cook the eggs to order. All right. Boom. So. Evolution. Yeah. Next day. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so after I was, um, uh, I was going out with a girl in Miami at the time. So I was going back and forth with her. And, uh, she came from a pretty wealthy family. And her father wanted me to move to Miami to help him in his construction business. And uh, and you showed him. He was like, this is what I can build in these. <laughs> well, no. I, w- I was thinking about it. <laughs> I was like, damn, Miami. You know, not, I don't blame you. I was like, geez, that, that, that would be nice. But I was like, I could always see that little light at the end of the tunnel. Like, if we just get through this, we can. So what happened was we started little by little getting regular customers. People who just liked Because if you look back at it, there was Harley's parked out in front. You know, all had long hair. And we weren't your typical restaurant tours. So it freaked a lot of people out initially. Then we started getting a little better in our craft and what do you mean by that what, what craft what's the, the craft, craft of barbecue okay i mean uh, I'd, I'd shudder to think what that barbecue was like when we first but i remember nobody else was doing barbecue and if you and if you look and we, i'm not even saying we were doing good barbecue it probably was awful but it's all relative at that point so yeah. if you're the only one doing it and people don't know what to compare it to right. I mean, that's why there's so many renditions of pizza throughout the country because right. people would experience pizza in new york city and then move to detroit where it took on the square shape and then that would move on to chicago where it took the the deep dish right. uh you know uh just the, the standard deep dish uh chicago type pizza but thing is like it doesn't matter because that becomes the new standard when mm-hmm. you bring something new to an area um, you are you, you stand alone, so there's no yeah. comparison. It's all relative. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we started slowly getting a customer base, and then um, around 1991, we the missing link was beer, and we got rid of breakfast. We changed our hours, and then all of a sudden, things started happening. Our barbecue kept getting better. Because the one thing we heard is, boy, 
this would be great if you guys had beer. You know, uh, it, it wants beer. So we started changing our, just changing, evolving, got rid of everything we hated, which was breakfast, and then started expanding our hours at nighttime. Now we had beer. And then, then we got this great review. And then, boom, next thing you know, it was wild. It went from manageable to out of control in a matter of like two weeks. So we had to figure out how to deal with that new reality. And it was so different um, uh, that bikers were mingling with regular people. with, And it, it was really never seen before from a sociological That's a aspect. really interesting point. Uh, what was that like being able to bring different... Uh, I guess, psychographics, demographics together. I love it. I, I mean, I, I live for that because if it was just one homogenous base, it wouldn't be half as much fun as it is with, you know, uh, the mixture of people to this day. I mean, we... Well, so a few really great things I'm pulling from this story um, is, again, the, 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 to emphasize that, that idea that you're going to evolve over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you said that you, you got rid of uh, the breakfast over time and you started focusing on what it was you loved. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, I mean, was it just the fact that you didn't like doing the breakfast or was there no, no money to be made in the breakfast? Were you guys not making the money in the breakfast? Or? Well, no, for me it started, I hated getting up okay. <laughs> at that time uh, uh, at that time of the morning for very little money. Yeah. And it's just like, what are we doing? But you, you got to find your right path. you got to carve yeah. out your path. The only way you know is just by getting out there and trying things. And then the other big takeaway from this is listen to the, your guest. Mm-hmm. Your guest will tell you uh, what you need. And if you and if you listen to the, the guest, you stay receptive to the guest, you listen to them, they told you we, we would love beer to go with mm-hmm. this. You said and once you made that move, once you incorporated the beer and you and – you, um, got a little bit more focus on what it is that you do. Mm-hmm. You spread yourself out less. You know, mm-hmm. you, you put that energy into doing one thing really well. The barbecue. It sounds like that's when things started to take off for you. Very much so. Very yeah. much so. And to this day, it's like get get rid of what doesn't work. So if you <clears throat> you look at now with eight restaurants, what I always loved about having one restaurant, you could change things on a dime. You have eight restaurants. You have to figure out that change. How does it get to all eight? How does it get in- implemented? And that's like, I'm an impatient man when I, l- I want to do something. And then uh, uh, probably much of the chagrin of my employees sometimes, I'm, I, I, I want it to change quicker. But with eight restaurants, it's so different than one restaurant. Yeah. Because you can just pivot on a dime with exactly. one restaurant. Well, I mean, it, it took you... And I have notes here. I mean, you, you said it went from 88 to 91 to get to the point where you guys kind of had more of an identity of who you are yes. and what you're doing. And then it wasn't until uh, 1990. Wait, you said, yeah, 1998 is when you went to the second location, right? right? right. So it took you almost 10 years to go from your first brick and mortar mm-hmm. to your second brick and mortar. And even then, when, when as you were evolving, and I don't want to get too ahead of you and your story, mm-hmm. you tripled that first location in size in, the, in, the, in one year from from focusing on the barbecue, right? Yeah. Uh, so take us through that the decision to, um, instead of going outward and lateral in mm-hmm. growth, you decided to go in and, and, and scaled your business that on, in that one location. Do you want to take us through that process? Yeah, I don't think it was that calculated. We just didn't really know any different. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could, uh, you know, I hear take you. credit for a great strategy. But um, So we started in 900 square feet, but the, rest, the, the restaurant itself had a bar component to it already, but we had blocked it off because we couldn't get a liquor license for a while. 
it wasn't until 91 that we were able to get a liquor license. Um, so we took down that wall and opened up the bar. Now understand, I had never been in the bar business. I had never had a, even that first 900 square feet, I'm the guy who took your order, cooked your food, ran your food wow. out. So there was no service. So when we doubled in size, the idea was, let's bring, let's bring servers into this. We'll hire, you know, we got all these great biker chicks around. We'll, we'll hire them as, serv- or as servers. Open up a bar. What could go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> so once we mastered that 900 square feet, and now we um, more than doubled it, it be- and, and, and it was wild when we did that. It went from 30 miles an hour to 90 miles an hour. Man. So it took us a while to catch up. And learn that aspect of the business, the bar business, the serving, serving, full service. So we start, and if you, you look at it, we started off with no rules. And every, I used to name rules after the employee that made me put a rule in. <laughs> you know, like this was the Jones uh, rule. You probably couldn't do that now, but it was funny back then. Um, and, and that's how we started our, you know, rule book or policy book. Because it was just such learning experiences. And, man, we made every mistake in the book. So I love when, when uh, we were able to look back at who we once were and to, like, dissect what we were doing. Looking back at some of the, those mistakes that you made, some mm-hmm. of the, the things you did when you just didn't have the experience that you have today, mm-hmm. what were some of the, 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 the things that you did that you can share with us to, uh, for, for just entertainment alone, but maybe even to make it a, a learning experience to help pre- prevent somebody from making the same decision well i guess if there is a learning takeaway uh i tend to sometimes shoot then aim (laughs) so uh what i've learned is aim plan put people in place then shoot yeah back then we just did it and then what it did is take you from you know now you're doing everything and then you're in. You're so deep in the in the forest, you can't see. You don't know else. what you don't know, though. Exactly. So you have to get in there, and I I, I kind of applaud you for uh-huh. taking that ready fire aim approach, mm-hmm. uh, where you just you know you you get ready, you take a shot, and then you see where you hit, and then you go, okay, we missed. Right. Now we can readjust and take another shot and see if we're any closer. Right. But the only way you know where you're going to hit is if you pull the trigger. Exactly. Right. So you, you got to take that ready fire aim approach and mm-hmm. once you start taking it once you've taken a bunch of shots then you can say okay we know we have a feeling for how this works Let, let's put a plan together let's really aim and figure out oh, yeah. how we're going to approach this and it sounds like that's the approach you took and that's yeah. that's textbook yeah yeah well I, you know i don't know it's just pain, it was painful <laughs> i'll tell you that much. i bet but it's not going to be easy <laughs> one other thing that you mentioned that i want to go deeper into mm-hmm. is this idea of naming the rules after the people that uh mm-hmm. came up with the idea uh take us through that a little bit deeper well it's just like all right, you got to show up to work on time. Now all of a sudden, um, I've got thirty employees versus four. Now I got to manage everybody coming in on time, and the, you know the people that were late. We'd say it's the uh, the Jones effect. Um, you, everybody now has to come into work. So it'd be whether lateness, drinking on the job, everything that happens in a restaurant business gets a policy eventually. So now if you come to work at Dinosaur Barbecue, we've got a policy book that you got to, you know, here, here's what you got to do. Back then, it just evolved with every mistake, every mishap, every disappointment, failure, success. It became, you got to write the, down to my new partner. 
uh, Nancy Luckwalt, they came in in uh, 1991, and she, I, I needed help with all the administrative stuff. And she, I used to pay everybody. Uh, <laughs> I used to always keep um, um, cash flow in my sock. <laughs> or, or the bank in my sock. My left was uh, personal money. My right was how I paid my vendors. Okay. <laughs> so, so when she came That's one on. one system, I guess. <laughs> well, it was, yeah. So, so when she came on, she's like, you don't have a checkbook. I was like, yeah, I know, I know. I never got around to doing that. So, so she started, like, now getting our getting our shit together from the administrative point of view. Thank God for her because, you know, I used to forget to put payroll in. I used to, you know, pay people in the cooler, you know. <laughs> Here you go. Well, there's a couple <laughs> things that uh, we need to just, like, hover over for a couple seconds. I think the power – a lot of people it's, – it's good to have systems, policies, procedures when you get started. But I think that it's really hard to create those systems, policies, and procedures when you don't know what the picture of perfection looks like. Yet. <laughs> exactly. So when you take that approach of just getting started and then slowly starting to – like, when, when there's a mistake, that's our cue. Mm-hmm. To say, okay, how can we make sure this doesn't happen again? Exactly. And then that's when you write the policy. And right. it sounds like you guys also had fun with it, too. Like, yeah, maybe there did. was a little bit of yeah. poking uh, and prodding, having fun, right, and teasing right. people. But it sounds like it was in good nature. Oh, it's very much so because, you know, we were, like, a tight group of people back then. You know, it yeah. was, like, it was badass. So everyone who did screw up, they knew they screwed up. And, oh, you know, all right, yeah, yeah, I'll take it. You know, and uh, now, you know, there's, like, 900 employees yeah i think it's also worth mentioning or or talking about that tight-knit of people like Mm -hmm. that that tight-knit group your culture essentially Mm -hmm. is the word what was it about you and your people in those early days that gave you that solid culture and most people would probably look from the outside in and say wow a bunch of rough and tumble bikers Mm -hmm. like maybe they don't have the greatest culture but it sounds Mm -hmm. like that's complete opposite no it's just the opposite because we were in it in it we were working all together elbow to elbow and um that 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 forms the best culture and if you can have fun with it see we always had a good sense of humor Mm -hmm. so you know you look back at all this craziness i'm talking about we had a good time doing it and we laughed our asses off and we you know very dark humor and you know you just you but everyone knew everybody was in it you're all cut from the same cloth too so you you had that 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 circle of trust right and i think that's a lot of people will say you know you need to i think there's something to be said about creating a safe space where you work where there isn't any dark humor where Mm -hmm. people do feel welcome Uh, maybe that's more important as you scale but when you're small and tight you can kind of have that you have that filter of letting people in that are that match the other sense of humors and personalities of those people on your team yeah but Uh, if you look at like if i was to open up a restaurant now i i you would have to be you would have to have those safe spaces mm-hmm. back then yeah you know you look at 30 years in the restaurant business the, the the changes are just incredible from there to there so coming up now you know we're at, at that time this all made sense that would not make sense in today's environment you would have to look at things a little differently and um so, so you, what point did you have to start thinking to yourself I need to be careful about, um, you know, as you're, as you're scaling, you go from four to 30 to mm-hmm. 90 to, I don't even know how many employees you have employed now across all mm-hmm. locations. Yeah, probably, uh, 850. So, so at what point was there a point at which you had to say, we, we can't maybe keep that original culture going. We have to maybe kind of create some more 
uh, safer rules. When did you reach that point? Probably a couple of years into it. Okay. You know? um, and, and especially when we opened up the second one. So that that be and, and again I credit Nancy with. She's all, we're going to talk about her. I have her name <laughs> written down already. Yeah, Nancy helped us so uh, again getting our shit together on the administrative side. Because that's one thing. If you're um, an aspiring chef who wants your own restaurant and you have that vision of owning your own restaurant, there's the other side of the business, the business end of it. So yeah. if your strength is in that kitchen and or hospitality, you need someone who's going to be taking care of that other yep. aspect. Absolutely. And that, you know, that to me was like, wow, that's good. Now I don't have to worry about because it. it's a big it, it, it's a full-time job you doing can, that. You can have a bigger impact when you narrow the focus. You can go yes. much deeper when you narrow your Without focus. Without a doubt. Uh, imagine, I like to use this analogy, like imagine having like a, uh, a uh, maybe I should have thought about the analogy a little bit more. Mm. But when you have a flat surface and you drop it, mm-hmm. right, a big flat surface and you drop it, it makes a little indent on the earth, mm-hmm. right? A little, maybe you can see where it, where it landed, but it doesn't go deep. But if you take that same amount of weight and mass and you put it all behind like a, like a maybe like a, a quarter inch surface area right and you mm-hmm. drop that same mass from mm-hmm. the same height it's gonna go deep into the ground mm-hmm. and that, that's kind of mm-hmm. what i'm saying when you can pull it and you can pile it on top and you have all that focus narrowed and focus on one thing you can do mm-hmm. way more and it sounds like you know when you bring on a partner you can divide and conquer right oh very um, much so. so it sounds like the first thing that you decided to do was to break off what you disliked the most which was the administrative stuff so you could focus on what you love doing the most which is the, right. the barbecue right um and it takes a lot of i think emotional intelligence and mm-hmm. uh, awareness to know what you're good at and what you're not good at mm-hmm. and being willing to let somebody else take over and have control over something. Was that hard for you? Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was absolutely thrilled to get rid of that end of the business. And to this day, I, uh, you know, we have, you know, you talk about um, um, safe spaces and uh, everything that you need now. You know, we got a very robust um, um, human resource department. So every employee knows if something's going sideways, they can go to that human resource. We, we didn't really have human resource back then. You know, er, everyone was human resource. But you have to put those things in place, especially now, so you're doing things correctly. Absolutely. So Nancy comes on. Um, she helps you go from one to two locations. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it like having that second location? What were your challenges? Well, the challenges were kind of, uh, well, Okay, different set of challenges. Number one, going to two is not the same as having one. And I did not set up an infrastructure for two. So, what were you missing? Well, just about everything. Because I now was like running back and forth on the thruway, running both restaurants, you know, with my partners. But there was no general manager. There was no... Um, so it was... And again, too much for one person to be doing the right way. So, but the part two of it was we're busy right out of the gate. So there was no learning time in it. So we didn't set things up to operate. And plus it was a huge restaurant, 7,500 square feet. Number two. Number two. Yeah. It's an old train station. Um, How much time was, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not completely familiar with the, the time and distance between Rochester and uh, Syracuse. Uh, it's about 80 miles. 80 miles. So yeah. at least an hour and a half yeah. drive. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you're doing an hour and a half drive. How, how regularly are you doing that drive? Every day. Every day. Every day for the first so couple of years. You're saying in the second location you didn't have the system set up yet. Mm-hmm. Um, 
like so were you recreating the 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 first restaurant and the second restaurant did you carry over those systems or the systems not in the first restaurant either um evolving okay but not where they should be to take on a second restaurant. so knowing what you know today what systems what are the key two or three systems you would have made sure you had in, in, in operation number two uh, well, the training mechanism, the um, uh, further the craft of barbecue, you know, because you just can't. Barbecue is so labor intensive, and it's got so much judgment. So, you cook a steak, you know, you, you pretty much know how to cook a steak, medium rare. If it's uh, barbecue, it's, all right. So, what a steak? The temperature is the temperature. It's done. The feel. Barbecue is about judgment. So every piece of meat has to be judged individually. There is no recipe. There's a guideline, and the guideline changes based on weather, humidity, humidity. temperature. Our bar, you know, being in upstate New York, if you're bar, we got outdoor barbecue pits. If it's sub-zero, it's a different game than yep. if it's eighty degrees. So there's so much judgment. In Probably one training. reason why barbecue never made its way north because of how hard it is to barbecue in the winter. It really is. <laughs> so. Um, I don't think we did a good job with that. So I think our barbecue was uh, probably inconsistent at that time. Nobody was ready for the volume that hit. So, so the first thing you said, uh, the first thing you would have done was implemented systems around training to make sure there was consistency in the product. What's the second exactly. thing you would have done? Um, same thing in the front of the house. You know, make sure that, um, again, it was wild. It was just wild. And... Actually, the second thing is building that infrastructure of people in charge. Mm. And so it, and then getting yourself covered in the first one, because I was such an integral part of the first one. Now I'm gone. You know, I'm, I'm all over the place. Yeah. And that's a hard one, is to change it, go from one to two. And if you're the day-to-day and everyone knows you, and I knew so many of our customers, now you're gone. Oh, what's he doing now? Oh, it's not as good as when he was here. You know, so you have to manage all those expectations. Mm-hmm. So how did you recreate yourself and others? How did you get to the point? Eventually, you must have gotten people trained up to the point. You must have developed the, the values in the – you must have recreated yourself in the managers that you, you replaced yourself with. Mm-hmm. How long did it take you to do that, and how did you go about doing that? Uh, I, uh, man, I don't know. I don't know the exact time, um, but we've had a lot of – you know, this guy just walked in here. He's been with me 25 years. We've got a lot of long-standing people. Um, osmosis, I guess. I don't know. You Just know? attracting onto yourself the people. And then once you get the, those good people, how do you make sure you hang on to them for 20 plus years? Well, you, you, you treat them with respect. You, you pay them well. And um, hopefully they believe in, you know, what, what you're doing. And your word is your bond. What does respect look like? Respect looks like treating people the way you want to be treated. But I take, very, I, I take respect very seriously. How you talk to people. How you talk to people is probably the biggest one. You say good morning. You shake their hand. How you doing? What's this? What's that? How you doing? You get immersed in, you know, the business, and they and they know that. But respect, especially with our crew, you know, there's no disrespect. You, I love you, it. You talk to people the right way. I love it. Uh, so I mean. You went from two locations to three locations uh, by 2004. So in that six years, uh, mm-hmm. 1998 to 19, 2000, sorry, 1998 to 2004, you must have gotten some stuff locked in because to go from two yeah. to three locations is a whole nother story. I mean, they yeah. say like those. I mean, the, the first two additional locations they say are the hard ones, but after mm-hmm. you get those first 
three done, you kind of figure out the formula thereafter. Is that kind of safe to stay with you guys, or did no, it take a little longer? No, I like to complicate everything. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what I did do right is I hired, I finally hired a, a general manager. Um, you know, when we threw the brick to open up in Harlem, um, I was like, all right, I need a guy who's going to. So now we put, um, you know, general managers in place and uh, like a regional guy to, to help. So that, that was the first best move. I made. Okay. Um, but I, I always had this thing, and it's probably pretty much to my detriment, where I wanted every dinosaur to feel different because I didn't want a cookie cutter. Uh, I, I didn't think I could because mm-hmm. the, the, the first one's so original and so organic. I didn't want a cookie cutter. So I wanted every dinosaur to have its own personality. And what that did is it complicated everything. How so? Just because the menu could be different. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not laid out the same. It's a different quirky building. I always was drawn to, you know, uh, odd locations and um, old buildings, which... Charm. Charm. Yeah. Ex- yeah, but it, it's very expensive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, we were opening up Brooklyn, the whole front of the building fell down. Oh, man. So you, w- when you do take on these, uh, uh, these old projects, they're very expensive. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I complicate things. So when, I mean, there's only one way to find out though. You go, you try, uh, yeah. and you learn from, uh, so was it, um, an issue with consistency? Cause you said sometimes the, the recipes were different. So people might see a dinosaur in, mm-hmm. in Rochester and be like, Oh, like let's go to this one. And I'm, cause of, I love yeah. dinosaur and they go and maybe it's completely different from what they're expecting. Yeah. Well, not, not, not that far. The barbecue is always the barbecue. Okay. Gotcha. It's all really the side dishes and, gotcha, gotcha. uh, different specials and, and if, if I see a better way of doing something, I'll be like, oh, damn. And this is where I've learned is, you know, I, uh, you know my, my COO, he has a fit if I change something without him knowing it. You know, because he's the one who's responsible for getting things out there. And, and sometimes I still operate like a, uh, a one, because I want to change it. Wow, this is a better way. Shit, I want this done now. Versus, all right, let's talk about it. Let's get this done. Make sure it gets out to eight restaurants. So it's a, it's a more cumbersome process but it's the right way to do it so you have that consistency so at what point did you decide to try to be more consistent at which location did you get to and say okay we got to try to make these things as close to each other as possible with with still having some of their own unique charm Mm -hmm. but with having more consistency when did that start to happen um it it, it started happening again the barbecue is the barbecue and that that's 80 percent of our business Mm -hmm. um so the barbecue, if you go to Dinosaur from Dinosaur, unless somebody screwed up in the pit, it's the same barbecue. The rub's the same. The meat's the same. Um, the pits are the same. Um, it becomes a side dishes and, and different specials and things like that. So we're, we're just now in sandwiches. So, but you're in a different market. Mm-hmm. You have to tweak things for the market you're in. That makes in. sense, yeah. And if you train somebody in Syracuse and they come to Harlem, based on how the line is different, where the pit room is. So a lot of it has to do with the uh, layout of the restaurant also. Mm-hmm. If I wanted to be like highly successful in um, um, expanding dinosaurs, the idea would be to make them all the same. Make them all the yeah. same because it's just easier. So, yeah, I... I, I I think there's a there's a balance. There's a balance. I mean, yeah. you don't want everything to be soulless and cookie cutter, right. and that's not what you want to. That's not what we should try to achieve. Right. So I hear what you're saying, um, but it sounds like maybe it was around 2010 is when you kind of 
dialed it in. Mm. And when you figure out you have that complete identity of, of this is who we are and this is how we're going to do things uh, going forward to open new locations. Because it was eight years from one to two, mm-hmm. six years from two to three, and then three to four, I want to say, was uh, brought or Harlem was number three, and mm-hmm. that took you another six years. Yeah, so mm-hmm. Troy was 2010. Mm-hmm. And then from that was your fourth location. Mm-hmm. And then Newark, Stanford, Brooklyn, uh, you know, Newark and Stanford were both 2012. Brooklyn was 2013. Mm-hmm. Buffalo was 2014. Mm-hmm. So um, then you have, did I mention Manhattan? When was Manhattan? Well, Harlem. <laughs> that's uh, 2004. That was okay. The third oh, okay. That's, uh, did I pass yeah. it? Okay. So um, <laughs> that was kind of a big one, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it sounds like you, you guys almost at a tipping point. Mm-hmm. What 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 brought on that tipping point when you started opening up multiple restaurants within a year from each other? Uh, well, my my partners uh, wanted out, okay, and I brought in private equity, okay, and then it became, um, you know, when you take on money, people want return on their investment. Exactly. So it became that period where um, it's kind of like the private equity period Mm -hmm. where we got into expansion and um, maybe a little too fast, you know? So that was painful. Yeah. You know, opening up that many restaurants. Earlier I mentioned, you know, it it took you six years and six years Mm -hmm. or eight years, six years, six years and four Mm -hmm. years. I wasn't, I think that's a good thing. I think a lot of people get hurt and burnt when they try to open four or five locations in two years because it it is hard. Mm -hmm. How, what was hard about it? Like take almost, you said almost it was too fast. Well, I, I, I think, yeah, yeah. You know, we, we talk a lot about culture. So when you open up that many restaurants that soon, the one thing that suffers is culture. Why? Because you're not in it. You know, you're you're not in that day to day now, and you're not. You don't have that band of brothers and, and sisters that are all pulling together. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it becomes all right. We open up this. Oh my god, we're going to do do that. And it's uh, then you have to. It, it's, it's almost like going back now to put that culture back in. Mm. So that that was. That was a mistake um, um, of opening that many that soon without having a culture mechanism. There's some culture to it, but not as much as you it, it should be. So when you lost your partners and you went uh, public, is that no? We didn't no, go public. No, public you went, no private equity. Pri- just private equity. Sorry, private equity. Yeah. Um, was that around the same time Norman uh, Abdallah came on board? Was was he part of that that uh, expansion? Yeah. So again, I think that's what was his, he was serving as a DO, correct, director of operations, or well, it was it was kind of like at that time, I uh, my partners and myself, we came to a, a little different crossroads. Um, they wanted to expand much more than I did, so I stepped back. I said, if this ain't for me, and if if you guys want to expand like this, you're going to need somebody else who's done this okay so they wanted to go big and you were the one that was tapping the brakes i'm good for one a year okay that that, that's really my and these partners were they your partners from day one no no they came in um they came in in uh, around 2009 okay did you have any partners early on or was it just you? no no, i did i had uh, my original partner mike uh was with us and then he um uh i'm gonna say around 2000 uh he was my original partner mike rotella and then uh Larry and Nancy Luckwalt came in in um, 1991. Okay. And they stayed on to about 2008, okay. 2009. So, yeah, then, then um, uh, uh, my private equity guys came in. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, any lessons w- that, that you learned with uh, negotiating between partners that you can share with us? 
Yeah, there's a, my God, there's a ton of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I had a good relationship. Uh, we had a great first five years because, you know, I was left alone pretty much, did my thing. And um, then, like any, and I, I don't blame anybody in the private equity world. They want a return on their investment. When it got to the point where they wanted to open up more restaurants than I was good at doing, mm. I stepped back. And that's when um, Norman and a couple other people came in and, you know, kind of architect the next version of Dinosaur. So at that point, I started stepping back. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. Then, I mean, the, the reason why I brought up Norman's name is because if you look at his uh, history, I, I didn't mm-hmm. take the notes and put them right in front of me. I should have. But he had a history of opening and scaling uh, restaurants across the nation. Right. I think he's with Del Frisco Group now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so... I mean, it, I think it, it takes a lot of intelligence for somebody to recognize what lanes they belong in mm-hmm. and then to stay in the lanes and then go out and to find the experts that can help them scale mm-hmm. and help them. And it sounds like this is the solution that you had, bringing him on to help you bring it to the next level because he had that experience scaling. Is that yes. safe to say? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I'm, the only other thing I really wanted to talk to you about, because mm-hmm. I think you do a really great job at this, is um, – creating multiple channels of revenue. It's not mm-hmm. just the barbecue. It's not mm-hmm. just the restaurants. You also are in retail stores. Mm-hmm. You're in Whole Foods. Yeah. So take us through that process of, of creating those other channels of revenue and how you were intentional about that. Well, it started in the, you know, in the nineties, people would say, Oh man, love to have your barbecue sauce. And we, at that time we'd fill up a styrofoam quart and sell it to them. Then I went to one of um, uh, local uh, spaghetti sauce guys and asked them if they would, this is in Syracuse, if they would, bottle and they're like well you can do we'll do twenty five thousand cases i was like oh my god i don't want to do that <laughs> so i ended up meeting uh ray red gill they were razorback um uh razorback barbecue guys at a barbecue convention and they were in blyville arkansas so we sat at the bar one night threw some back he's like man you want to come brew barbecue sauce i don't care if you brew a case 20 cases we'll charge you by the hour you make the sauce buy the ingredients from us so I would fly into Memphis, my favorite city at, at the time, and I'd rent a car, go up to Blyville, a little hillbilly plant on the, the, the Arkansas-Missouri border. I'd go in and make the sauce. They'd bottle it, ship it, and then um, we started uh, distributing it. Then that became um, uh, more difficult as the restaurants got busier, so I ended up uh, finding a guy in Rochester. And that's how I found the Rochester location was driving by this location. It was an old 1905 train station. I was like, man, look at that building. I love it. What's going on with that? So now at that point, Wegmans takes us on. Uh, Wegmans is a... I'm sure you've heard of Wegmans, right? I know but, the name, but I'm not completely... Yeah, it's a big... It's, it's, it's like... Uh, um, I guess you would compare it to Whole Foods. Okay, um, like a supermarket. Yeah, big supermarket. So they took a chance on us um, early on, put it into that, and that had you know good success and... Next thing you know, um, you know, years evolved. Now we have a you know broker and uh, you know um, distributor relationships. Yeah. But again, I, like, I love that approach of you just went out and you talked to people, right? Mm-hmm. And you aren't going to be the person to do everything, but you your network is so powerful. Your mm-hmm. network is your net worth, mm-hmm. and you were you were going out and you were knocking on doors. And the first uh, 
opportunity, the first option in your mind mm-hmm. might have been something that was on too big of a scale for you, mm-hmm. but you just kept on going to find the right, the, the right fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you don't have to invest in all of those, you know, all those pieces of equipment. Um, mm-hmm. You can scale into that too. Again, and you took right. a very scrappy approach mm-hmm. of getting your products on shelves, which is right. another channel of revenue. Right. What percentage are, is that for you today to this point? I'm curious. Your, your whole, your, uh, I don't know, maybe five percent, but but still, it's yeah, four percent. You know, but it's a, it's a it's a tough business, and 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 you know, I the the sauces are my recipes, but I hate the distribution and mm-hmm. dealing with all the supermarkets and. It sounds like you're outsourcing that now, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what what else have you done to diversify and get other channels of revenue? Well, if you look at a typical dinosaur, it's uh, we do a lot of catering. So if you look at, you know, we have. You know, the five revenues, you got catering, you got to go, you got in-house, you got the bar, you got the sauce. T-shirts, uh, you don't sell as many of those as you once did. Um, but a lot of, ca- you know, catering is probably your... Awesome. Yeah. So is. I can't believe it's already been almost an hour. It's crazy how fast time goes during these interviews. Well, uh, yeah. But is there anything that we have not discussed? Anything that you were hoping to bring to the table that we can talk about real quick before going to the speed round? Well, I guess it would be an incomplete picture. If um, I didn't say that I have bought Dinosaur back. Okay. And I'm the controlling, you know, I'm, I'm, I I've bought all the dinosaurs. I was not aware of that. So what, yeah. was, what led to that decision? How did that break down? Well, like anything else, a private equity firm wants an exit. And um, I, I wanted to write a better chapter, you know. So, and if it went to another private equity firm, I'm not sure I'd feel good about, about that. So, so I, I took it back. Okay, what was that transition like? It was pretty good. It was a good bunch of guys that I was working with. It was uh, everybody made it as painless as possible. And how long have you had it solely uh, up to this point? Uh, about eight months. Eight months. Yeah. Eight so months what's the back. future look like? Well, the future is just look. I, I don't care about expanding anymore. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting old and cranky, or I, not, not as ambitious as I used to be. But I want to just focus on what we have. And put that culture back in. Just yes. get better and better at what we do and stop. Because the, the world of expanding, 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 you become, that's your business. Not the hospitality, not the food. It's opening and it's joyless for me. I, I can't speak for any other people. But just for me, I don't, it, it's not my sweet spot. I'm happy. Like I'm happy you're saying that. Mm-hmm. I really am. It, it, it warms my heart because mm-hmm. a lot of what I'm trying to do here, again, the mm-hmm. mission is to transform the industry. Mm-hmm. When I think of what I, how I want to transform the industry, mm-hmm. I want to inject culture and values mm-hmm. and make it more than just how big can we get, right. but how great can we get? And I think that people, maybe it's American culture that mm-hmm. we're, we're we're judge on how big mm-hmm. we can get, how much money we can make, but. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we know this, that mm-hmm. money won't make us happy. It's relationships. No. It's culture. It's those right. things that will bring joy into your life. And it sounds like you have, you, you always knew that. And now you're really making sure that, you know, that's a, at the forefront of what you do every day. And well, I guess I put my money where my mouth is. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and it was, you know, telling my longstanding people that this is what they're going to do. You can see, like, the weight lifted off, you know, like, oh, my God, thank God. Yes. You know, and and now we can concentrate on what we do. And, you know, there's enough challenges with eight restaurants. We don't need nine, ten. I I, I think I I love the idea of getting small. Mm. I do. I love the idea of getting small. So what's the last eight months been like as far as uh, the culture? Has has there been a a pivot in culture, a swing in culture? 
Oh, well, without a doubt. I mean, it's... How is it different now than it was eight months ago? Uh, bureaucracy. There's, we've took a lot of the bureaucracy, almost all of it out of it. So when you're, when you're, every decision, every move you make, if you have partners, of course you've got to, and especially if you don't have controlling interest, they have controlling interest. So it's not easy to, it's like turning a battleship around in a yeah. pond. So we changed the battleship. The bigger like you a, get, the more momentum you have, the harder it, harder it is to pivot. It's not like a jet ski anymore. Exactly. You know? So I guess we changed, we swapped out the uh, ocean liner for uh, a speedboat. There you go. <laughs> I love it. Um, this has been a great conversation. I wrap up every free-flowing portion of the conversation by asking my guests. Again, mm-hmm. the, tr- the mission is to transform the industry, mm-hmm. to inspire, empower, and transform the mm-hmm. industry. So let me ask you, how have you transformed since 1983? Who is oh, the John man. stage today versus the John stage back then? Uh, well, he's older. That's for, <laughs> that's for sure. And I think with um, uh, if I, I think I've gotten uh, a lot more wisdom in the last thirty years than I do, and I just I, I look at things uh, a lot differently. I think more mm. now before I act, and uh, uh, who your employee is is so different. So you have to just you have to be aware of all the changes in the industry. But for me. You know, I don't have the temper I used to have. I've, I've, I've gotten some patience. I've, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm just not as, as much of a maniac as I used to be. Awesome. I love this conversation. One more quick break to thank our sponsors, mm-hmm. and we'll be right back. Cake makes it easy. Thousands of restaurant operators are using Cake POS and loving it. With its easy, simple to use, and intuitive interface, how could you not? Cake users are achieving peak satisfaction with 24-7 customer support, not to mention lifetime access to Cake University. No wonder customer satisfaction scores are so high. Everything about Cake is simple, including its POS integration with Cake Guest Manager and Google Reservations, which basically allows your guests to book reservations reservations or get on wait lists straight from Google search or Google maps. That's pretty rad. This simple integration alone has increased guest count by as much as 25%. To learn more about how cake makes it easy, head over to trycake.com slash unstoppable. And because you are restaurant unstoppable listeners, you can save $750 off activation for cake point of sale, but you have to use my links again. That's trycake.com slash unstoppable. Did you know the National Restaurant Association states that losses due to fraud at a restaurant run around 4% of sales? That's like an annual marketing budget. Workplace harassment, discrimination, misconduct, theft, and fraud can all have devastating impact on a restaurant's profitability, public image, and result in legal liability. But how do you respond to and mitigate risk if an incident goes unreported internally before it becomes public? Ethics Suite provides a line of communication between you and your staff, allowing you to stay informed and respond to incidents rapidly and privately. With Ethics Suite, your employees can easily report suspicious activity or potentially unethical behavior from any device anywhere and employees can also submit reports completely anonymously if they so choose safeguarding your business starts by listening to your employees it's that simple find out why ethics suite is the leading anonymous reporting system for any restaurant in the industry head over to ethicsuite.com slash restaurant unstoppable all right we're back and the first question i have for you is what is your it factor a habit a trait a characteristic you believe most contributes to your concept your your wow most contributes to your success. 
I think curiosity and perseverance. Ooh, nice. Those are really. good ones. Yeah. Why curiosity? Because I'm, I'm an avid learner. Mm. And I, you know, I, I, I think at, at 59, I'm as curious as I was at 29. I love it. So, uh, yeah, curiosity and, and, and then perseverance. What is your biggest weakness? Uh, you know, I think I, I talked about it is wanting things now <laughs> and, and um, um, not going through the proper channels of eight restaurants to implement them. Like if I'm excited about something, I just want to change. What do you want right now that you're, you're having to resist the urges to, to take the, <laughs> the lead? Uh, let's see. What do I want now? Um, well, actually, um, prime brisket. <laughs> That's what I want now. And um, I've actually did change it, and it's going to be happening in, um, in about two weeks. But when I made the change, it took you know a month, month and a half to get supplies. <laughs> so once I started cooking with prime, I was like, oh, man, I can't go back. <laughs> I hear that. So what is one question you ask or things you, you look for during the interview process? Um, curiosity, engagement. Um, body language, just a good a connection. Mm. What is your biggest challenge today? Uh, the lack of people in the workforce. Right. How are you dealing with that? Oh, man. Uh, many different... Fr- Matter of fact, um, we're, we're forming a deeper strategy on it right now. So what worked five years ago does not work now. So What doesn't work now? Just put an ad in and you get 100 people. <laughs> now it's, uh, you know, it's, it's going deeper in the recruitment of... Uh, are, are there services you're going to or is this all in-house? Like, what, what's your new strategy? You know what? It, it, it's, right now it's piecemeal. We're forming a strategy um, within the next couple of weeks of how we... To be that, 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 that place people really want to work for. How do, what, what's good? What, why, why can we, how can we be great to attract people? I love it. I love it. Your biggest customer today, the person that you have to appeal to today, isn't no, is no longer the, the guest, but it's the employee, the inner guest. Like that's the oh. market you got to appeal to right now. Without a doubt. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is a way to be, a way to act. Respect. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? This is a way to go above and beyond what's expected from you, from your guests. Um, well, because the amount of uh, diversity in our clientele, there's no two ta- one approach does not work for everybody. So tailor the experience to the table itself. I love it. What is one book to make us a better person or restaurant owner? Restaurant owner. Mm. You know, I like Danny Meyer's book. Setting the Table? Yeah, I thought that was awesome. That's a classic. Yeah. Most recommended book on the show. It is on Audible. Head over to audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. If you're not yet an Audible listener, mm. you, it will change your life. I promise you that. Mm. And uh, what is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? Hmm. That one I had a hard time with. I, I, I don't know. I can't. I don't, I don't want to talk about other people's <laughs> shit. I respect that. Uh, what is one piece of technology you've adopted within your four walls that's had a huge impact on operations? Oh, my God. Probably um, uh, your Grubhubs and your uh, DoorDashes. That's... Have- What's the impact that those resources have had on your business? Well, uh, sales growth, but margin erosion. So... Yeah, that, that sales go up, but you're still not necessarily making more money. It's it, you know, Sometimes. it's, it's <laughs> it, I don't know what this bargain is, but it's uh, you know, the more and more you stay in it, the more and more you're analyzing it, and um, you, you, 
we can turn it off at any time. And when the restaurant's rocking in house, I, I, I don't want to. I don't, don't want to deal pull with, from that, right? Yeah. I don't want the, I don't want the experience here to suffer from it. So it's it's another thing you have to manage. Are you doing anything to try to get people off from, from those platforms, uh, the DoorDashes of the world, the GrubHubs of the world, and onto your own online ordering platforms to, to it, get that? To, it's get an that evolution. Out. I don't have the answer right yet yeah. for it. I'm really deep in the analytics of this right now. I am collaborating with somebody on hopefully creating a solution and, uh, or at least putting together a package to help people steer people down, down that decision-making mm-hmm. process. So no, stay tuned for any, that. If you're any help I can get. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is the last question is a doozy. Are you ready for it? Sure. Bring it. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind <laughs> for the good of humanity and for your legacy, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? Oh, man, just uh, respect your fellow person. That's without, one. Out of doubt. That's um, one. Boy, I blanked on this one earlier. Let's <laughs> say uh, uh, love what you do. Passion, man. If you don't have passion for your product or your people, that ain't going anywhere. And that's two. And um, give back. Give back. Work that's with the community three. and, uh, you know, got to give it to get it. I love it. I love it. This has been a great conversation, John. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit with mm-hmm. us and to, to share your story and your knowledge. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. That's how I found you. Mm-hmm. Lauren Lynch called you out uh, mm-hmm. to be a guest on the show. Uh, so who do you respect and admire and believe would make a great guest on the show? Oh, you know what? My buddy Tom Valenti would probably make a great Tom Valenti. That would yeah. be awesome. Yeah, Tom, Tom's awesome. Look out. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get <laughs> you on the show. And uh, let the folks at home know how can we connect with you. Maybe we want to come join your team. Maybe mm-hmm. your story really resonated with us. Mm-hmm. We want to learn barbecue. We're in the Northeast. Mm-hmm. What's the best way to join your team or just connect? Oh, man, just go to our uh, website and, uh, you know, let us know. We're always looking for great people. This is episode 629. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 629. I'll have a summary of today's discussion uh, as well as any links to tool services recommended in the show and how to connect with John. Again, John, thank you so much. Oh, thanks, uh, it was an honor sharing your story. Yeah, man. Thank you. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. <laughs> unstoppables do not click ahead to the next episode i have a special message for you i'm going to be at the tra marketplace the second largest trade show in the nation hosted annually in texas this year in houston july 14th and the 15th i can get you in for free if you are a restaurant owner operator if you work in the industry i can get you in for free head over to the show notes find the link for the tra marketplace Register and enter promotional code UNSTOPPABLE19. Again, that's UNSTOPPABLE19. You can get into this trade show for free. Again, second largest trade show in the nation. You can hang out with me at the Restaurant Unstoppable Media Stage, experience live interviews, uh, maybe even attend a few uh, seminars or uh, keynote speakers with me. And... Or just go out on your own. I mean, this is a great trade show. You will not regret going. And again, I can get you in for free. It pays to be a Restaurant Unstoppable listener. Thank you. And see you there.